I don't know about you, but I love Braveheart. Are there any Braveheart fans out there? Okay. Lady, any ladies that like Braveheart? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. This is going to be great today. Freedom. Everybody say freedom. freedom. Now say it with your best Scottish accent. Say freedom. Right? Yeah, I'm just kidding. Right? Wallace asks the army gathered there that day, what will you do with your freedom? What will you do with your freedom? He's gathered there with his, uh, with his uh, Scottish countrymen as they are on the battlefield ready to, to take on the big bad English army. They are outmanned, they are outnumbered, they are outprepared, they are out-equipped in every way, shape, and form. They are the David to this Goliath as we talked about last week. And yet you see and what I love about what Wallace does this, this, this warrior, this kind of mythical hero in Scottish history is he appeals not to their strength or their ability or their talent. The message that he gives them is not man up. <laughs> the message that he gives them is not try harder or the message that he gives them is, is not a guarantee of victory. Run and you'll live, but then you'll regret it because there's something heroic about living for things and battling for things that matter, like freedom, for your own freedom and for the freedom of others. And so he says, what will you do with your freedom? First of all, he appeals to their identity. He tells them, sons of Scotland, sons of Scotland. We have a, a man with, with, with long hair from a different country that's appealing to a bunch of ragtag misfits to go and live lives of freedom. Does that remind you of anybody else? Any other story that we read at all? Maybe there's just a little comparison there. And he's appealing to their identity, saying, sons of Scotland, what will you do with your freedom? He calls out to them and reminds them, most importantly, of who they are, that they are free. Everybody say freedom. 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 And I open with that clip today, not just because it's Father's Day, and it seems to be a fan favorite of a lot of guys, and it's one of those movies that, that I watch over and over and over again because it just inspires me in so many different ways. I don't show that clip today because the call here on Father's Day at Hope is not to be William Wallace. It's not to paint your face and wear a kilt and be a macho man, okay? That's not the call here on Father's Day. I open with that clip because I think it's one of the most important questions that we could ever be asked. What will you do with your freedom? What will you do with your freedom? And guys, if we can be honest for a second, if I can just speak to the guys a few times specifically here today on this Father's Day, as we spoke to the women specifically on Mother's Day, guys, do you feel like you're living in freedom these days? And do you feel like that freedom is experienced at a church? So if we're really honest, right, well, one of the things I love about Hope is that we have people from a variety of church backgrounds. And guys, specifically today, some of you have grown up in the church, and yet you walked in and you're like, this is a Lutheran church? What? Looks like a car dealership. Well, it is, okay? We're watching Braveheart, what has happened to my church, okay? Some of you uh, maybe had a bad experience with church. Some of you grew up in a church where there were certain expectations placed upon you as a man that felt like were unreasonable. And some of you, honestly, maybe it's your first time here, or you have uh, women, you have men that are sitting at home right now that want nothing to do with church, they're not interested at all. As I talk to a lot of guys over coffee and lunch and connect with guys both inside and outside the church, it seems to be two different responses that bubble to the surface every time I ask, what would it take, not just for you to come to church on Father's Day, but like what, what would it take 
for you to be a man that loves coming to church, to really connect with you in the heart of a man. And usually the objections that they have center around two main things. Number one is boring. Why would I waste my time coming and sitting in a chair and singing some songs and sharing my feelings and listening to a pep talk from a guy I've never met? Okay, to be honest, right? It's boring. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. You may not agree with everything that I say up here, but I guarantee you one thing, I will not bore you because I believe in my heart of hearts that it is a shame to bore people with the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So I'm not going to guarantee you're going to agree with everything, but you're not going to be bored today, okay? And number two, you want to know what the biggest objection that they have? I don't want to come, especially on Father's Day, and I don't want to come really any day to church and have more guilt and shame heaped upon me and tell me that I need to try harder and do better and if I would just man up and be a better husband and a better father and a better friend and a better worker uh, in my job or whatever it is, then God will love me more. I just need to step it up a little bit. There's not a guy that I know that is just asking for more guilt. Guys, can I get an amen? amen? Okay, just like we said on Mother's Day. I don't think there's a mom out there that doesn't need more grace. I don't know a man that is just saying, yeah, John, just lay it on me this morning, right? Most men I know are their harshest critics. And we beat ourselves up. And there's a lot of you, there are some of you here this morning that don't think you deserve to be here. And we've already missed the point. None of us deserve to be here. That's why we deserve to be here, because of the cross of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Not because we're good enough, but because he's good enough, okay? So that's why we're here this morning. But guys, I've got some really good news for you. Really, i got really good news for all of you. That is not the invitation of Jesus is to try harder and do better or to man up on this Father's Day. That is not the gospel. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. That's not the message of Jesus. It's not the message of this church. Jesus wants to remind all of us this morning, men and women alike, simply of who you are. If I could tell you one thing this morning, it's not how to be a better dad or a better husband or any of those things. I want you to know who you are. I want, you to remind, I want to remind you of who you are, and that's free. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. It's not just a thing in movies. It's all throughout Scripture. The Apostle Paul says it this way in our first Scripture from Romans chapter 8. Go ahead and go to the next slide. We can read this together nice and loud. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. So Paul says, if you are in Christ today, I'm speaking to all of you now, you are not an orphan and you are not a slave. You are free. Everybody say freedom. 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 That defines you today. You are free, but it doesn't end there. Paul says this in the next verse. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read this together. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery. But it doesn't end there. This this theme of freedom continues over and over. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3. Let's read it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I don't know how much more specific and distinct and to the point we can get. Freedom is a defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus. And my question for all of you this morning is, does it define you? Does it define you? Freedom is all throughout the New Testament. It's, it's all through. And maybe that speech from Wallace this morning, maybe that was for you. What will you do with your freedom? Not just as a Scot, but as a follower 
of Jesus Christ, does it define you? Because on this Father's Day, a day that we lift up and celebrate not just fathers or grandfathers, but all men for the unique role that you play and the way that you bless so many people in your lives. This is a day that we want to lift you up and bless you and encourage you. I simply want to ask you, are you living in freedom these days? If you were honest, you feel completely free. Because if we're going to be honest this morning, which we try to do, as I look around me, as I look at my own heart sometimes and the things that I struggle with, to be honest, and I look around at the guys that I talk to, there are a lot of hurting men in this church. There are a lot of men in this church that have lost heart. And there's a lot of men that don't have chains wrapped around their hands. They're wrapped around their heart for a variety of reasons. We don't believe something just because we want it to be true. We truly believe something when we live in its reality. And I see this in myself a lot. There's a lot more chains than there is freedom sometimes. And the chains are often hidden, and that's what makes them so dangerous. I see men of all ages and seasons of life struggling with feelings of fear, a sense of hopelessness, passivity, depression, addictions, finding intimacy with their spouse, pouring relationally and connecting emotionally with their kids, finding a sense of fulfillment at work, and the list goes on and on and on. And the good news, the bad news is you can't break free from that on your own. That's just the reality. So that's why the message today on Father's Day can't be man up and break free from those chains. You're like, I've tried for 40 years, right? Can I get an amen? Okay, I've tried. The good news is that Jesus wants to set you free, can set you free, and will set you free if you ask him. That's the message today is that Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit has the power to break you free from whatever chains. And that's why today is not a pep talk. It's an invitation to remember who you are. And so guys in particular today, I address you not as sons of Scotland, but as sons of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Your chains don't have to define you. Your depression, your anxiety, your fear, your struggle in your marriage, whatever it is, it does not have to define you today. Jesus defines you. And you can live in that reality, you can actually live in freedom, not hiding your chains, not being a poser, not putting on a front for the world to see as a man that has it all together. You can actually experience freedom. And that's for all of us, men and women alike. How do we do that? How do we do that? The answer comes from a very interesting place that you might not expect. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 6 to our Bible reading for today. 2 Samuel chapter 6. You got your Bibles, your phones, go ahead and pull those, those out. If you don't have a Bible, they are free at the bookshelves all around the worship center. Take one, take 17, and give them to your friends. That's our gift to you, okay? 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's about a fourth of the way through your Bible. This is our third week in this series called Hashtag Life Lessons from King David. So if you want to tweet about it, there's your hashtag. Life Lessons from King David. We were looking at the books of 1 and 2 Samuel here at Hope at all of our campuses. Second, first and Second Samuel originally written as one book. Honestly, they just ran out of room on the scroll, and so they had to have Second Samuel, okay? So that's why it's in, in two different books, but honestly, it's the same book. It's the same narrative all the way through. And so really, uh, this, this series and these books really cover the rise and fall of King Saul that we kind of talked about last week. And then from the very beginning, we see God choose another king to replace him, a young shepherd boy named David, just seeing your, if you're with me. And last week, we learned that after David gets anointed king, he kind of steps into this reality, he finds five smooth stones, and he defeats the giant 
Goliath. Okay, all of you went to Sunday school. Good. Awesome. And uh, we read now that David has assumed the role of king. And so June only has uh, five weekends. And so well, we got to get through first, second Samuel in a hurry. So boom, David's grown up. He's the king. Okay. So here we are. And we arrive on the scene in second Samuel chapter six, and David is now the king. And we find him restoring the moral fabric of the nation of Israel. Okay. So what David is doing is, is one of his lasting legacies is he brought something called the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody say covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, and what that means is that this was a highly decorated, kind of a, like a pirate's treasure chest, almost you could say, but it was adorned with gold and silver and rubies, and it was decorated, and it, and it was believed to hold the two stone tablets that Moses came down from Mount Sinai with, with the Ten Commandments, to make the covenant with his people, hence the Ark of the Covenant. And so the priests would carry it from place to place, and it traveled uh, with the Israelites wherever they would go as they wandered in the desert. And most importantly, the Ark of the Covenant, God's people believe that wherever that was, God's presence, God's manifest presence, his glory was present there as well. And so what David wanted to do was essentially to put God back in the center of the nation of Israel. And so he makes a big deal out of this. And so he makes this, uh, whenever you're bringing, you know, the Ark of the Covenant somewhere, it's, you got to make it a big deal. So David says, we're going to have a feast. We're going to have sacrifices to God. And we are going to have one ginormous parade that's going to put any 4th of July parade to shame, Okay. And they have this big parade, and guess who the grand marshal is that's dancing in the front, right? David himself, okay? And he's not riding on a horse as a military king or as a warrior king, which he was the leader of Israel's armies. If you read the text and you don't laugh reading this story, you're not reading the story correctly, okay? David strips down to his undies, and he leads the parade procession, okay? He's basically got a cloth. That's what he's got, okay? Now... This was somewhat normal. Sometimes priests would do this as they repent in sackcloth and ashes. This is something that was, that was normal as the priests were kind of the mediators between God and his people. The priests in those days were essentially the lead worshipers, okay? And so that's what David is doing. We pick up the story in verse 16. Look at verse 16. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, uh, Jerusalem, Michael, the daughter of Saul, the previous king, looked down from her window. She's doing a little bit of stalking, I guess, okay? When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. In other words, it's not every day that you see a grown man leaping and dancing before the Lord, right? Guys, any of you get up this morning and leap and dance a little bit? You're so pumped for Father's Day, right? Let alone to have the king of Israel. I mean, David was like a man's man, right? In a lot of people's definitions, right? And here he is dancing before the Lord. But he's not just dancing. He is passionately worshiping, not wearing a lot of clothes, okay? And one of the young maidens is offended. She's put off by this, and she calls him out on it. And then watch how David responds. Skip down in the story to verse 21. David retorted. He didn't just respond. He retorted to Michael. I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all of his family. Boom, that's like a slap in the face, mic drop, all together, okay? He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the, peop the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Verse 22, yes, and I'm willing to even look more foolish than this. Other translations, David says, I will become even more undignified than this. David has given up caring what other people think a long time ago. He is dancing and worshiping before the Lord. And here David offers us the first very practical way of what being free in Christ 
looks like, and it's this. We are free to worship God wholeheartedly. We are free to worship God wholeheartedly. David was able to dance with no concern about what others thought. He simply went for it. Kind of reminds me of another crazy, silly dance and somebody that makes a fool out of themselves uh, a lot. No, it's not me, uh, but it's another dad, uh, Jimmy Fallon. And so in honor of Father's Day and in honor of David dancing undignified, I give you the evolution of the dad dance. And it is okay to laugh. Check it out. All right, everybody turn to a dad-looking person around you and say, that's totally you. That's totally you. Tell them that right now. That's totally you. Guys, laugh a little bit. Get over yourselves. Don't take yourself too seriously, right? I have just given you a modern visual representation of 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 16 through 22. Okay, right there. You saw it live on the late night show. It's right there. It's a good thing, guys, at Hope, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Amen? But we take God and his word very seriously. You might say that Jimmy Fallon is completely undignified, right? Because he's given up a long time ago caring what other people think. And hear me say this. The joy of the dance was more important than other people's opinions. The joy of the dance, the joy of the worship was way more important than what people think. And I show you that to ask you this and propose this to you this morning. Maybe what God is looking for today, particularly in men, is not tough guys who never show emotion in worship or prayer, or even men that sit passively by and watch worship, but men who are willing to do that in here. Do not be mistaken. Passionate worship has very little to do with everything out here, and it has everything to do with what's going on in here. Because that comes from a place of freedom in here. David was not putting on a show. He was madly in love with God, and he doesn't, I'm in love, and I love, and I don't care who knows it, okay? To steal a line from Elf, okay? He was madly in love. And so his worship, and therefore our worship, if you don't know, is simply an outward expression of an inward reality, okay? The call isn't to be wild and crazy on the outside. It's to have that freedom on the inside. Passionate worship is about what's going on in here and then being able to authentically express whatever that is on the outside. Freedom in worship comes not from being the one that's raising your hands or dancing or being the most wild or crazy guy in the room. Freedom in worship is when your only desire is to please God. When your only desire is to please God, not to sound perfect, not to sound on, to sing on pitch, because let's be honest, a lot of you don't, okay? That's not your primary gifting, okay? Mine neither, okay? It's not who's leading the songs. It's not who's in the worship team. It's not what songs we're singing. It's not any of those things. Some of you may wonder if you've been around for a while, why do we, why do we bring the lights down in worship? Why, why is it so dark in here for worship? Okay, are we trying to be a you know, rock concert or something like that? What's going on with that, right? Do you want to know one of the main reasons that we do that? It's so that you can focus. Honestly, so that you don't care about what's going on around you. That is the, one of the primary reasons that, so you can focus and maybe for 12 minutes once a week, God can have your undivided attention. And so I just, I want to ask all of you this morning, what do, what do you think about when we worship? When we, when we sing songs and we pray prayers, or maybe you're worshiping and spending time with God in your living room, in your home office, or whatever it is, are, are, are you a, an audience member? 
and like the real action's going on up here, maybe the real action's going on out here and most importantly in here in your hearts. Like what are you thinking about? Are you just reading the words? Are you checking out the worship leader's pants? Like what do you, what do, you do during worship? Our prayer is that you're having this intimate conversation with the God that made you. And some of you will express that outwardly, and some of you weren't, won't. And hear me say this, both is completely acceptable. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Everybody say freedom. freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is hands in your pockets. Okay, maybe, okay? But there's also dancing, okay? If you thought the dancing wasn't Lutheran, it may not be Lutheran in your opinion, but it's biblical, okay? And that's what David does. We are free to worship. And if I can speak to the guys today and be honest, guys, if you're like, like me, and this is just a caveat if you think that I'm trying to get you to be Jimmy Fallon in worship or something like that, okay? I am a raging introvert. Some of you are like, liar, liar, pants on fire, right? You preach every weekend. Yep, I'm going to go home after this and curl up in a ball and cry, okay? <laughs> Introverts, are you with me, right? Like, sometimes people exhaust you, okay? I love all of you, okay? And I have my people time, but I need my alone time, with a few other people and with God as well, okay? I am not trying to propose that real worship is wild and crazy because it's not for me. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But here's the thing, dudes. Somewhere along the line, we have believed the lie that real men don't show emotion. Somewhere along the line, we have believed that real men, Lutheran men, can't get the hands above here, okay? Can't move our feet or heaven forbid, cry. And I don't say this as some sort of, here's the hoops you have to jump through or anything like that. You guys, I just, I read particularly the Old Testament. I read these stories of this, of these men that walked with God and it had nothing to do with putting on a show and it had everything to do with allowing themselves to be undone. Because if I know anything about myself and about our fellow men, we love to be in control. And if you're saying that's not true, you're a liar and you're in church, okay? We love to be in control and we love to fix things and we love to be in control of ourselves and our emotions. God is inviting you to be vulnerable. God is inviting you to be vulnerable. And maybe the reason that we don't let go as guys a lot, whether it's out here or it's in here, is because it feels like we're letting go of control. But maybe that's what worship is all about. Some of you look around and you come and you're like, oh, I'm going to a Lutheran church. And you walk around and you see like women and men with their hands raised. You're like, what, a touchdown football game? Are we airing out the pits? Like, what are we doing here, right? This is kind of confusing, right? It doesn't, doesn't feel normal to you. And you're like, that's weird. I will tell you this. Uh, our kids are at a, a stage of life right now where they they're, they're just very needy and they just want, not, not in a bad way, they just want to be with Tiffany and I all the time. And so a, a lot of it is, uh, particularly Evie with our four-year-old, she's, she's saying, Daddy, carry. Daddy, carry. Daddy, lift me up. And she'll just come. Sometimes she won't even say anything. She'll just come and go like this and just put her arms up right, right in front of me. It's like, how do you ignore that? Right in the middle of a temper tantrum and trying to put her in a timeout, she goes, right? Because she knows how to tug at Daddy's heart, Right? Caleb will do the same thing, our six-year-old. He'll come up and just like, he's, oh, I can't make it up to bed. Daddy, carry, right? Daddy, help me. Daddy, help me with my fruit strip. Daddy, help me with this. Daddy, I need a drink. Daddy, lift me up. Daddy, I need a hug. And it seems like the normal posture for a child in our house is this. 
And then we come to worship and we go, weirdos. What if outward expressions of worship wasn't putting on a show? What if it was declaring our declaration of dependence upon our dad? That all of us have, our heavenly father. What if it wasn't about putting on a show at all? And so, guys, I just want to ask you this morning, and really for all of us, are you free when it comes to worship? Or are there some chains that are holding you back? You're like, yeah, John, I'd love to do that, right? But you, what you don't know is that you're chained to your past. You're chained to your previous experiences. You're chained to your traditions. Well, it's a good thing one of our values at Hope is that we worship God, not tradition. And I just want to challenge you this morning. I'm not telling you to worship any specific way. I simply want you to get your heart back. I simply want you to live with freedom, whatever that looks like, whether that is going crazy. Now, David is not a good example here. We would prefer that you keep all of your clothes on and worship, okay? This is a bad, this normal then, not so normal now, okay? But when it comes to freedom in worship, is it more important for you to be obedient to your church tradition or to God? Are you, are you, are you chained to others' expectations? Are you so worried about what other people are going to think around you? Like, oh my word, if, a guy, if I start crying in worship, i got to get rid of that really quick, right? Or are you willing to allow yourself to be undone? God's way more concerned with what's going on in here. One of the things that I love about David is that he was this man's man, right? He was a general in the army, rode on a stallion and led Israel's armies. He was a man's man. He was the king, right? And then he also plays the harp. Like, what's up with that, right? Here we have this man's man who's a lover and a worshiper. Our culture will say, pick one. Wimpy artist, musician, jock, tough guy, no emotion. And like you have to choose. David was a lover and a warrior. God says, maybe both. And both are real men. Some of the most manly men that I know have never played sports in their life and have no facial hair, okay? Those are all surfacey, cheap labels that have been placed on guys. David says it can be both. You can be tough and you can be tender. And both are in God's hearts. Yes, guys, be tough and be strong, but not at the expense of your heart. I just want to challenge you with that. Where are the chains that are around your past? What's holding you back from engaging your heart? And on this Father's Day, dads, grandparents, grandfathers, what if the greatest gift that you could give your kids was to see a man that is willing to be vulnerable before God? What a great gift that you could give to your sons and daughters, to your, to your grandkids. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, a, they're really tough and they're really strong. And I can trust my dad or my grandpa with anything. But man, when it comes to worship, they just melt before the throne of God. That's real strength, is being willing to admit as a guy, I don't have all the answers and I don't have it all together. Because my strength isn't in me being tough and manning up. My strength is in my heavenly father. Amen? David shows us this freedom in worship. David's vulnerable because his heart is on fire for God, but his story is far from over. David shows us what freedom is like in worship, and the second thing that David shows us about freedom is freedom from the expectations of others. Freedom from the expectations of others. Look back at verse 21. This is a really important verse in chapter 6. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord. Okay, here's the key phrase right here. 
who chose me, who chose me above your father and all his family. Okay? David wasn't dancing and worshiping before the Lord to be disrespectful or because he was indifferent to these girls' feelings or whatever it was. David was dancing undignified because he knew who he was. He was chosen. I am God's chosen one, and so are you. Not as the king of Israel, <laughs> but as a son or daughter of the king. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He says this, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us, there's that phrase again, in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So this is incredible. Before the creation of the world, God had you in mind and we were chosen. We were given an identity. You don't have to go earn your identity if you are in Christ because an identity is not earned, it's bestowed. It's given to you. You are a beloved son or daughter of the king that is loved and chosen and forgiven today. You don't have to go get that. It's already yours. You are a son or daughter of the king. You are chosen and that's what David is saying. You, I, I, was, I was chosen. I'm not going to be enslaved to the expectations of other people that are putting on me as a man. I mean, think about this in a very practical sense. Guys, if you were only to look at television, movies, our culture, the media, whatever it is, and you just only watch those shows, what, what would you believe that a real man is? Like the definition of a man. Tough, strong, no emotion, maybe lazy, definitely a womanizer, somebody that just is selfish, that just gets their own needs met, right? A guy that has it all together. But the expectations and the labels that have been placed on us don't end outside the church walls, unfortunately. Depending on your church experience that you've grown up in, they, they come right inside the church walls and you look around and, and, and thankfully, hopefully not here at Hope, but sometimes depending on your church background, you've bought into the lie that, well, what is a Christian man? I need to drink a little bit less. I need to cuss a little bit less. And at the end of the day, the epitome of a real Christian man is to be a nice guy. And hear me say this. We're called to be nice. We're called to be friendly. But doesn't, there's got to be more than that. That's a small part of it. This isn't about church programs, guys, and getting you to come to church and sit in a seat. I want you to get your heart back. And I want you to live from your real heart and not chained and enslaved to the expectations of that the church has put on you or that our culture has put on you. And I wonder how much of the person that you present to the world is actually the real you and how much of it is a cover-up to try to be somebody that you think you should be or that somebody else wants you to be. What if... Being a real man, being a Christian man, isn't about manning up or being tougher or doing more or being dutiful or being busy or your church attendance or how much of the Bible that you know. What if being a Christian man is simply about knowing that you're a son of the Father and living like it's true? You're not striving or earning anything. You're remembering who you are. What I love about King David in this story is how secure he is. Men, are you secure? Are you secure? Women, are you secure in your identity in Christ? And, and you understand this because when David is criticized, how many of you love to get criticized, right? And you just take it and you're like, thank you. I love criticism, right? 
Not, nobody likes it, but it's about how you respond to it. He just gets lamblasted, right? By all these girls, right? And does he say, forget you, I'm the king of Israel, I can do whatever I want. He just says, nope, I'm just being who I am. I'm a chosen son of God, and my, my number one priority in life is to worship him. You don't have to be, when you're secure, you don't have to be crushed by criticism. When you are a secure man or woman of God, you don't have to win every argument. When you're a secure man or woman of God, you don't have to always be the center of attention. When you're a secure man or woman of God, <laughs> you don't have to win at everything. When you're a secure man or woman of God, you, you, can, you can serve others wholeheartedly because you've realized that just getting your needs met is never going to fulfill you and being a consumer. A secure man or woman's confidence doesn't rise or fall in their relationship status, how things happen to be going or their, the choices that their kids make or a pay rate or their job title. A secure man or woman in their identity in Christ is able to live for what matters. And this is so important. Where are you rooted? What's the trajectory of your life based on that? found it really interesting a couple weeks ago in honor of Father's Day, this brand new survey came out. And the survey came out, it was particularly they interviewed men for Father's Day, uh, ages 60 to 80, somewhere in that age range. So kind of in the, the, the later stages of their life and they're kind of reflecting back on their life. And the, the question was this, if, if you could speak back to your 20, 30, or 40-year-old self as a dad, as a husband, as a man, what advice would you give yourself? And it kind of turned into a, kind of a list of regrets, sadly, kind of would have, should have, could have. And I, I want to share that with you. There was a lot of different answers, like buy cool cars or eat more ice cream or whatever. But I kind of boiled it down to the top five. And so these older men looking back, reflecting back, and speaking to those of us in our 20s, our 30s, and 40s. And I I don't think this list, honestly, is necessarily pinholed at men. I think it's all of us. And so here's the list. Here's the top five. Number five, I wish I wouldn't have worked so much overtime. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. They, they probably interviewed 10,000 guys across the country. Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of answers. I just work too much. Number four, I wish I wouldn't have pushed my kids to be so busy. Thousands and thousands of answers about youth sports. Not one said, I wish I would have drove my kids around to a few more activities. On the other hand, on the flip side, a lot more I wish I would have played with my kids in the backyard more. I wish I wouldn't have based my love for my kid on their performance in music, in school, in theater, whatever it is. Number three, I wish I wouldn't have been so scared to lead my kids spiritually. Thousands of answers of saying, Oh, my word, I completely thought I had to be perfect and have it all together to invest in my kids spiritually. Why didn't I start earlier? Why didn't I take the lead on that? Number two, I wish I wouldn't have taken so long to get help for my marriage. I have talked to, talked to so many men. This has been the year of God working on marriages in this church. I have talked to so many men 40, 45, 50 and above that have been married for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And the thing I hear over and over and over again, why did I not invest in my marriage when I was younger? Why did we not go to counseling sooner? Why didn't I invest in the most important relationship? Why was I so afraid to admit that we didn't have it all together in our marriage? Why was I so afraid to admit that, admit that as a Christian man, I'm hurting, I'm struggling? 
There's this huge stigma around counseling. There's a huge stigma around being a man that needs to ask for help. And the top one, kind of surprisingly, I wish I wouldn't have lived so much for the approval of others. Insecure men are chasing every other expectation except the one that really matters. David knew who he was. He knew who had chosen him, and that gave him a crystal clear picture and a trajectory to his life. Guys, what is our calling? No matter who we are, no matter what our job is, or whether you have a job or not, whatever your age or your season of life or where you've come from, our calling is to live free and help others live free. Jesus doesn't only give us an identity today. He gives all of us a mission. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus sits down, he begins to teach, and he says this. This is what I'm about. This is my vision for us as followers of Jesus. He says this. Let's read it together in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. That's Jesus' mission. Whatever's holding you back today, your sin, your ugly habits, those secrets, those addictions, that laziness, that passivity, whatever it is, you don't have to live enslaved to that. Jesus wants to set you free. That's his primary mission. He says it right there. Whatever has you captive, Jesus wants to set you free. And then he asks us to join him in that mission. I cannot help but think about the parallels here. At the end of Braveheart, William Wallace, the leader of this ragtag bunch of misfits, is executed on a wooden cross. Just saying, okay? And instead of it squashing the movement... His followers charged the field at Bannockburn, even more passionate and more determined and more free, even though their leader has been taken out. The only difference is William Wallace didn't ruin his own funeral and come walking out of the grave, but our Savior did. Amen? And he calls us to follow him and to charge the fields. And if you want a picture of what ministry to men looks like here at Hope, it's that in here. Minus the kilts. Okay, that's not required to be in men's ministry, okay? It's doing that. It's fighting for their freedom and the hearts of others' freedom. The, the freedom of their hearts. Not out here and being a macho man, tough guy. But in here. And charging into our marriages and into our relationships, into our parenting, into the hearts of our kids, into our workplaces and our small groups, not with weapons, but with the weapons of love and service. That's what it means to be a man. You want a definition for that? Look in the upper room and see Jesus, the most manly man of all time, down on his hands and knees, washing feet, serving. And there has been a lot of damage done in the name of the Bible, in the name of the church, in the name of Jesus, about the man's role in a house. Out of mutual submission for Christ, we serve and we love, and that's what changes the world. Amen? That's what Jesus lays out for us. We charge and we fight for the hearts of others. And that's the picture of men's ministry. We, we have a thriving men's ministry here. We have a great leadership team of guys that are passionate about reaching other men and encouraging you and, and, and sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with you. Yes, we could have bad breakfast and bad Lutheran coffee in the church basement, but number one, we don't have a church basement. And number two, there's a lot of guys in this church that are hurting. And I'm one of them. And that's why I have a men's group. 
every week because I need it. There's a lot of hurting men. There's a lot of men in this church that have lost heart. And so when we talk to you about men's ministry, we're not saying, get involved in a program. I want to invite you to get your heart back, men, and to live free. Braveheart isn't one of the most popular movies of all time for guys because they have face paint on and they have swords. It's one of the most popular guy movies of all time because every man wants to live free. It has nothing to do with being a macho man. You are called to live in freedom and out of that you love and you serve and you give and you pray and you read your Bible and you go to men's groups and you get connected with other guys. There's two groups that just started this past week and they're open anytime. If you need to get into a group, guys, get into a group. Thursday mornings, Tuesday nights, early in the morning, late at night, whatever it is. We have the parenting class that's coming up. Guys, if you're in that season of life like I am, maybe that's what you need. Join a life group. If you guys in your 20s and 30s, Revive meets every single Tuesday night. They've got small groups. They've got places to connect for young adults and young professionals that are in that season of life. Whatever it is, it's not about programs. It's about getting your heart back. And I know a lot of today has been directed unapologetically towards guys, but women, you're in the fight as well. You're in that picture of charging the field as well. I want to offer you some encouragement, depending on whatever your relationship status is or whatever season of life you're in. Women, you're in this as well. (laughs) Pray for the men around you. Encourage them to be the men that God has called them to be. Speak life into them. As I mentioned, there's not a guy that I know that does not need more encouragement. There's not a guy that I know that doesn't need to be reminded of who he is and receive more grace. You're in this too. You're you're called into this as well. And the reality is we talk about all this freedom. We talk about God being our father. And for some of you, you love that. And for some of you, that's really hard to believe about the heart of God because that's not your experience. For some of you, you're here today with your dads. You bought them their necktie. You're going to go grill out or you're going to go eat afterwards or whatever it is. Might be a little cloudy for golfing today. And it's awesome. It's going to be a great weekend. And for some of you, this is your first, I know, this is your first Father's Day without your dad sitting next to you, without your grandpa sitting next to you. Some of you young men long to be dads and you can't for whatever reason. Some of you have lost a child. Some of you have lost a parent. Some of you have a strained relationship with your dad, your parents, and whatever that looks like. Unfortunately, we have an image of father in our world that has been tainted by the brokenness and the broken world that we live in by fathers that have been distant or abusive or passive or emotionally absent for us. And we kind of end up placing that image on God as father. But if there is one thing that every single one of us has in common today, it's that we are sons and daughters. Not just of earthly parents, but of heavenly father that has adopted us. That has adopted us. And so I want to end today with a clip that's actually a commercial uh, from Budweiser, which is fairly normal for me. (laughs) Or completely not. And some of you might be thrown off by that, and if you're worried about where we stand on that, you can listen to the sermon from uh, three weeks ago, and we talk about the, the, the dangers of addiction and alcohol together, but it is so bigger than that. I thought about not even showing it because I don't want to throw you off. It's way more important than that. It's not about beer. <laughs> There's a reason that this video has gone viral on social media. It has nothing to do with what's being advertised. It has everything to do with the power of adoption. 
And for some of you, you've been adopted, you are adoptive parents, whatever that is, and you know the power of being chosen. And that's what God says to every single one of us. You have been chosen. Take a look at the power of being adopted. <sighs> Darn commercials. <laughs> it gets you every time, don't they? Ephesians chapter 1, God decided in advance. Oh, wow. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Oh, wait, time out. That's not their story. That's your story. That's my story. We've been adopted. We've been chosen. Therefore, we know who we are and we can be secure in our identity because we have a family. I love how the one young gal said, I didn't realize, but I've had a family that loves me all along. And I want to say to all of you this morning, you do too, right here. And it's called the church, the family of God. And it is here for you. It's not perfect. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you're not going to find it here nor anywhere. But if you're looking for an imperfect family that loves you, that has been here the whole time, it's called the family of God. And she said, it's like I have, it's like I've had a dad that's been there the whole time. Regardless of what your relationship is with your dad, if he's still present or if he's passed, you have a father in heaven that delights in you, that loves you. And because you have been unconditionally loved and chosen and forgiven by the cross of Jesus Christ, maybe, just maybe, this is the year that you forgive. This is the year that you make the call, that you drive home, that you send the letter, whatever it is, and you forgive, which does not mean pretending it never happened, which does not mean pretending it didn't hurt, which does not mean pretending that whatever happened to you was okay. It means forgiving and letting go of the poison that is bitterness and anger. Your heart is free. Let Jesus release the chains from your heart this morning. Forgive, be reconciled to your dad, to your parents, to your child, whatever it is. Make the call, reach out. Somebody else's rejection of you does not mean that you have been rejected by God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And because we have been adopted and chosen by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Father's Day never has to be fatherless again. Amen? Amen. That is all made possible through the cross. And so the band's going to lead us in a closing, a closing song, and I invite you to just stay and be fully present, and maybe let's practice what we just talked about. And I want to invite you to not go crazy, but to be vulnerable. And if that means opening up your hands, that's okay. If it means raising your hands, like a little kid reaching up to their father saying, I need a daddy, then do it and be real. Because we worship God, not tradition. We worship God, not other people's expectations. We worship God, not a denomination. We worship God, not what somebody else thinks or how you sound. So be vulnerable and be open. And as we sing this song, which lays out the gospel of Jesus, there is hope. His name is Jesus. 
and we have a living hope today, this Father's Day and every day. So let's stand and let's worship and let's be fully present to God as we sing.